0: Your exclusive home for prop sports. Oh, it's good! It's good! This is Rowan Radio. Connors
1: with the game winner!
0: 89.7 WGLS-FM, Glassboro.
1: Rowan
2: Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports. Featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your host, Aaron Hook. RowanRadio.com channel 2, Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. Coming to you here on this Monday evening in Glassboro, 5.06 p.m. January the 29th, 2024, nearly a full month through 2024 coming to you here with the monday edition of offsides i am your host aaron hook and with me in studio today i've got tom hill chris DeZillo. guys we have a lot to go over obviously with the championship games in the national football league taking place this weekend uh and we will see the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Um, a Super Bowl rematch of sorts from three years prior. Four, I, like I think. Four. Wow, it's been that long already. So, um, that was uh, Patrick Mahomes' first Super Bowl, and he's looking to get number three, as he will take on Brock Purdy. And the Niners, who, you know, we can start there, guys. Um because I thought that was the more entertaining game of the two. Um, you know, the Lions come out of the gate and they jump all over San Francisco. They did add to a 14 nothing lead and, you know, they're up 24-7 to at halftime. But Brock Purdy, who really kind of struggled with some of his throws in that first half, just missing targets. And, you know, the Lions on the other side – um, really having no sort of trouble moving down the field. The strip just kind of flipped at some point in that second half, and San Francisco, with all of their talent, were able to come back. You could kind of pinpoint a couple of moments in that second half, a couple decisions by Detroit that maybe swung the momentum. Tom, for you, where did you think the, the Lions kind of maybe let an opportunity get by them that in the end uh, they, they couldn't recover from?
1: Well, I just think that Campbell managed them out of the game in a sort. So, going for it – so, at halftime, you're up 24-7, to seven, and then San Francisco kicks that field goal to start the third quarter off. And then, you know, you drive down the field if you're the Lions. You're in a fourth and short. You've been running the football well. I understand Campbell's whole is going for it on fourth down and being aggressive mm-hmm. and not giving up on what has, you know, made them good pretty much all season long. But, you know, you kick that three there – it makes it 27-10, and it essentially negates the opening half kickoff in that third quarter for San Francisco. So you'd still be up 17. There would just be less time on the clock. But you go for it, and then you know the Niners had that you know big play to IU. It was kind of fluky, but they scored. And then the Gibbs fumble, and then it just seemed to unravel from there. I understand Campbell's M.O. is aggression, and he's always going to go for it. But I don't think you can build yourself around aggression. I think it just has to be something that you do when the situation is right. And I feel like he does it a little bit too much, and it cost him.
2: Yeah, I mean, up twenty-four to seven in that spot in field goal range, you know, you hit that field goal, um, and you know, it, you you just make it. Uh, a th- or was was it twenty four to ten at that point, right? Because they tipped the field goal.
1: It was twenty four seven and a half, and then the Niners dropped okay. down to make so it So twenty, you're
2: 10. up 24-10. You can essentially just get it back to the same spot that it was, right? At a three score seventeen point game, and, and instead they elected to go for it on on fourth and two, Chris. But you know, I, I think the decision to not take it did end up hurting them in the end. You know, down ten on that last drive, and you know if it affects the outcome, who knows? But obviously, you allowed san francisco to pick up some momentum but the play on that fourth and two you know to me it's it's a play that should have been made and the lions should have kept that possession alive because jared goff you know although the throw is a a tad bit low i mean he puts it right on the hands of of josh reynolds who had a couple bad drops in this game ended up um you know really those two crucial drops that he had was um, that the
0: one in the first half, or was that in the other one in the second no, half? No, no, no. So this was on fourth and two. Um, I don't know which one. I think I missed it. Right? That, yeah,
1: it was uh, that first fourth down conversion mm-hmm. where it was right in Reynolds' hands. Where he hand. threw it right to okay. Reynolds
2: and just out of his hands. And so the drive ends there for Detroit and the Niners, um, you know, at, at that point, again, just were able to capitalize off the momentum. They already um, cut the lead. And then in five plays, they threw down the length of the field um and end up scoring maybe in a one-score game and then they have McCaffrey running in for the tie so I mean do you agree that not going for it in that spot was the wrong decision by Dan Campbell obviously in hindsight now it's easy to say yes and they obviously lost the game in the end which is just crushing but if you were him you know in that spot would you have tipped the field goal
0: yes Mm -hmm. take the points it is very crucial in a in a game that you take points and be conservative. I know, like you, you said, Dan Campbell wants to be that top guy and wants to wants to go for it on on the fourth. But in that time, you go you take the field goal and you take the points. And uh, of course, not taking the points again just open the door to me. Real quick, to me, I feel like the the momentum s- switched when Gibbs fumbled um, down when they were up twenty four seventeen. Yeah,
1: I would agree. No, big time. It just felt like. It just felt like the coaching mishaps with that Gibbs fumble, it just felt like, the all right, m- momentum's going to gonna swing, and you were in San Francisco, and, in, you know, this poor Lions defense. Aaron, you mentioned they're not a really good defensive team. It just felt like it was all going to go San Francisco's way from there, and it did.
2: Yeah, and Gibbs obviously fumbling in that crucial spot, you know, inside um, of his own 25-yard line. It was just easy. Um On the next few plays, you know, Purdy with that long run. um, And then he sets up CMC for the touchdown. And, yeah, at that point you could kind of feel like, okay, this thing is really starting to come apart. The Niners have tied this game with 17 in the third. Um, You know, going into the fourth, the Lions at that point really had kind of been shot in the foot a little bit. And and all the momentum that they had in that first half where – they were putting together these long, sustained drives and having these explosive plays hit. That all kind of just went out the window for them, um, and San Francisco went ahead on a field goal, made it twenty-seven to twenty-four, um, and then they scored again on their next drive, um, and that was uh, Elijah Mitchell getting into the end zone. I, I, I think, just in the end, you know, when the Niners were able to get it back to you know square one tie the game at that point it just became about the talent of the Niners and they just had more of it I mean again the way that all these different guys can move around and do so many different things it's just a lot for a defense to handle And a defense in Detroit that's been a bit up and down this season um I I think in the end just didn't have enough um to to contend with it and you know they made plays defensively and Malcolm Rodriguez did pick off Brock Purdy in this game, and that would set up a score uh, for the Lions as well. Um, C.J. Gardner-Johnson I thought was pretty good on the back end, but you know, in the end, San Francisco is going to come out victorious. And This is a team heading to the Super Bowl with a quarterback who obviously stepped in last year towards the end of the year and was supposed to be there for the NFC Championship last year. It really felt like for Brock Purdy, especially in that second half, It was so much about him getting the opportunity to lead his team back into the game and really trying to show everyone what he was truly made of because Dent didn't have the chance to do it last year. And now he's gone in two seasons from the last pick in the NFL draft to going to starting in the Super Bowl. It's been a pretty incredible journey um, for San Francisco. And obviously you could hear the, uh, you know, Shanahan always does this, finds a way to take this team out of it and his team doesn't show up to play and and you know, Christian McCaffrey's got like 30 rushing yards in the second quarter and it's like what's going on right and so they showed that graphic where three Lions had outrushed McCaffrey because he had the Jameson Williams um little double reverse that he took to the house um early in the game and so you know for San Francisco Tom it's a very very talented team but I think the team that it just plays with a chip on their shoulder too because of all of the doubt that they've received and all the doubt that I think Brock Purdy has received, you know, really since that Christmas Day game where he went into that kind of as like almost the favorite for the MVP or he was second behind Dak, ends up throwing the four pits and everyone's like, okay, well now we know who he really is. But I think really in the second half it was the ability for him and he took that opportunity to prove that, you know, he, he is a legitimate quarterback that can come back, and, and win a game like this for you in the NFC championship.
1: And Aaron, back-to-back playoff games at home against Green Bay in the divisional round, and then obviously last night against Detroit in the championship game, both of those deficits, big deficits, you're down pretty big against Green Bay, and then, you know, obviously we talk about, Aaron, as you mentioned, Kyle Shanahan and the system that he's able to create, and it's so easy for quarterbacks to get in there because they have so many different weapons that they use as different chess pieces, but I think when you take a look at Brock Purdy and the job that he's been able to do as the Niners quarterback, I don't think you can just gloss over the fact that these comebacks are just a byproduct of an elite team. I do think that, yes, maybe they were in a deficit partially because of Purdy, but they also came out of those deficits because of Purdy. Mm -hmm. And I think this has really been his coming out party because last year, to your point, he didn't really have the opportunity to show – you know, what type of quarterback he was in a big game on the road in Philly because of the injury. So now he's going to the Super Bowl after two come from behind wins. And we have questions about both Detroit and Green Bay. Kansas City's no joke, but it does appear that the Niners just don't necessarily have a guy that has to play, you know, in ideal conditions.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's a great point, Tom brings up again San Francisco coming from behind in these last two playoff victories you know, for some teams, Chris, that are kind of loaded with talent and they've got this great head coach, you know, they just don't have the the fight in them, that extra kind of gear when they are down and they do get punched in the mouth to respond, and this Niners team has obviously shown it now in back-to-back weeks, um, playing bid down the stretch. I think that's something that has kind of in, in maybe the last couple of years where they've been searching for the guy and You know, last year, you can't really blame them too much because... Because of the injury. Right. And, you know, they were just without basically a quarterback in that game for for parts of that game. And, you know, when when Jimmy G was there, it kind of felt like that integrity and that ability to bounce back and get back up after getting hit wasn't always there. And, obviously, they got to the Super Bowl um, in 2020. But, you know, now... um, with this team and, and and just the way that they have been able to fight back the last two weeks, you you, you have to look at them in, in a bit of a different light um, than you did. You know, even going into that Green Bay game, you know, a lot of people were saying Green Bay is red hot. Jordan Love, they're going to ride in there and 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 really give them a good shot, and they did. But again, the Niners just found a way to sneak it out. And so for Kyle Shanahan, a guy who has obviously been there in the moment where. He's had leads in Super Bowls, both with Atlanta as the offensive coordinator and with San Francisco up against Patrick Mahomes a few years back. Now, for him, this is also an opportunity to go show that, hey, you know, this is this is our time. This is the time where I go in there against Andy
0: Reid, round two, and and get it done in the Super Bowl. It, when they were the favorites in these in both of these games, they were down both of both of these games, and they've shown that they can come back. And if they can do that in the Super Bowl, they can definitely prove that they that they have what it takes to come back in, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the if that, if that makes a sense. Joke, no, I I know, but they have they have to play good defense. Mm-hmm. That's what they have to do.
2: Uh, and for Detroit, Chris, I I just I can't even imagine. It sucks. I, I, I can't imagine.
1: <laughs> and I was ruined for them, too. Well, you can imagine. You've probably seen some of this before. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Jet I mean, football. A,
2: a long time ago, yes, the Jets were in both of those AFC championship games. But to be up 24
0: to 7, and
2: if Josh Reynolds just squeezes that thing.
0: You know what was ironic? You have a chance what,
2: to be up 30. 31 7.
0: You know what was ro- ironic when C.J. Gardner uh, waved to the fans when it was 24 10. Yeah, that, Th- that was that came to bite him. That was dude, not dude, smart. No.
1: It's no. such a shame too, because they were running the football with ease in the first half. Gibbs looked good. Montgomery looked good. Yeah, obviously good Williams. Yep, Goff was kind of doing a nice job managing the game. It just felt like that was the type of game that you just salt away. You're up seventeen at half, just run the football. Don't make any gaff, you know, with coaching. Don't make any stupid decision. And I think Campbell's aggression bit him. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, if you go down, you'd rather go down doing what you do, which is be aggressive, but too aggressive, way too aggressive.
2: Yeah, obviously putting the trust in his offense to just go out there, execute on fourth and two. I mean, to your point, Tom, they had run the ball so well, you, you figure, you know, why not just Montgomery up the just middle? Pound it, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of his forte. And then, um, yeah, Dibbs too, um, was was running the ball effectively and – um, you know, they have all this speed uh, offensively. It's like on fourth and two, you could do so many different things. But the play, again, was there to be made. I mean, Doff kind of rolled out a little bit. He found a pocket, um, and he fired that thing in there, and Reynolds just could not hang on to it. So, um, you know, in the end, they that decision really is the one that people are going to point to, obviously, having a chance to just extend the lead. Instead, the 49ers, who had already gotten off the snide, in the third quarter, you hand them the ball back. They drive down and score, and from there it was really all San Francisco. Um, you know, you had that last touchdown at the end of the game to uh, Jamison Williams in the end zone, who, by the way, is looking like he's going to be some sort of player for them. Um, I mean, Detroit obviously really blows this game and you know blow their chance to to go to the Super Bowl. But I mean, I don't see any reason why this team can't be right back here playing for a Super Bowl again next year.
1: It's going to be really tough because the thing that concerns me with Detroit is Ben Johnson is an elite play caller and play designer. He's going to get get bumped up to a head coaching role somewhere else. And as much as I like Campbell as a culture builder and as someone who can, you know, change a poor team around and change, you know, a bad locker room around, I don't know if I necessarily Mm -hmm. trust him as much as like an in-game manager. And I worry sometimes that maybe if you don't – have a head coach who's you know an elite play designer or an elite play caller like a Shanahan or a McVay or someone in that tree it really reminds me of what we saw in Philadelphia where it seemed like it was the coordinators that kind of carried that big season for them and then that next year you kind of see the fall off I do think this Lion team is talented but that's something I'd be concerned about a bit
2: it's a great point because you know the Eagles have proved this year that no matter how talented you are, you need good coaching. You really do. Um, And so I was going to say, you know, just from a roster perspective, I mean, Detroit is one of the more talented teams, I think, across the board in the lead, especially offensively, really no holes, really good offensive line. Um, Young too. Good still group of receivers, tight young, tight end. And Sam LaPorta has been great all year. Uh, Two headed monster in the backfield with Montgomery and Gibbs and, just a, a solid um, kind of quarterback that you're you're just comfortable with. And Jared Goff, not to make too, too many mistakes. Um, and so, you know, we'll see about Detroit. Uh, again, this loss was just a crusher for them. And for San Francisco to come back just shows the, uh, the strength on their side. So they will be heading back to the big game. And so we should talk about who their opponents are going to be. And That would be the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who will be playing in their third Super Bowl in the last four years. Yes. Um, and Patrick Mahomes will be looking for championship number three. Uh, I mean, look, there's no denying it, guys. He was he was great in this game, and um, him and Travis Kelsey, man, like the season that Kelsey had had one of his one of his more underwhelming years, and. You kind of thought maybe he was a little bit on the decline, still a very good player, but a guy that was less reliable in the past game and not a guy who could pepper with targets anymore and um, not he wasn't he wasn't as physical, um, wasn't making the type of catches he used to be. This was all season long, right? And then in this game, the Mahomes and Kelsey connection, which is just so all time great, it just it came back and that's all they needed. Um, to make this Ravens defense although you know it was a 17 to 10 game I I thought that Kansas City really controlled this game almost from start to finish and Chris it, it was just you know you knew it on that first drive when Mahomes just laced it in there to Kelsey dive and catch in the end zone you were like uh oh these guys are, are are here are here to play once again and Kansas City f- wins this one 17 to 10 uh, despite didn't shut out in the second <laughs> half. I mean, this one really was a, a defensive battle, but again, I think from the two quarterbacks, Mahomes was definitely
0: the better guy out, out of him and Lamar Jackson in this game. In the first half, I thought the Ravens had the momentum until Zay Flower fumbled that on the goal line. It was horrible. I I, I, thought, he, I thought he scored, and then I looked at the replay, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Jim, like, Jesus, how, how does he fumble that? And, yeah. then, and then the other thing that was costly from Zay was that taunting penalty that, that would have made it on the 10 and said, and said they back him up 15 and they put him on the 25.
1: Let's just say uh, glad we see Mahomes back in the Super Bowl. It's been a, a long, grueling 12 months since we've seen him there. I'm, <laughs> starting, to get, I'm starting to get sick of it. Though. You want to know something? I, Aaron, to your point, I never really felt like the Ravens were completely in this game despite the fact that the score never really got out of hand. I mean, they made it from 17 7 to 17 10 in the fourth quarter. I think Mahomes in the first half was electric. They, you know, carried the ball for a majority of that first half. It was kind of interesting. The Ravens, big time running team with Lamar Jackson, who runs and they like to pound the football on the ground. They didn't run it at all. No. They threw it a lot. Lamar almost had 40 passing attempts on the night. And obviously, Chris, to your point, Zay Flowers with that costly fumble. I think Mahomes did an okay job of. You know, being a manager in the second half, not, you know, making the stupid play. This Chiefs offense didn't look right, but the defense looked unbelievable. The Ravens really couldn't get anything going pretty much all game long. It just felt like, you know, whenever they were driving, you know, the pick from Lamar in triple coverage and obviously the Flowers play that we mentioned, it just never really felt like this was the Ravens' day. And, yeah, Mahomes back for uh, his, what, Would you fifth or fourth? Fourth. trip in five years so yeah, that's uh insane it's gonna be something he's uh <sighs> he's entering some uh Why? special territory that's uh, usually reserved for some elite people
2: it's just uh, for baltimore i just don't understand not running the ball um that's been their identity all year long and obviously this group of receivers and especially highlighted by zay flowers has obviously taken a step forward in terms of the groups that Lamar has had in, in, in recent years. And, you know, Mark Andrews, not much of a factor in this game, only two targets. The um, flowers, obviously, like Chris said, with the big play, um, you know, in the second half, but then the, the taunting penalty knocked him back and obviously has a chance to make up for it and fumbles right before he crosses the goal line. That would have really completely changed the direction of this game. And, you know, the chiefs, not that they did anything with it on the ensuing possession, anyway. But I mean, that was a huge opportunity for the Ravens to score um, in that in that I believe I believe it was the third quarter, um, and and just get it to a three point game. And you know, again, their defense a lot of times in this game it gave them opportunities. The Ravens' offense had multiple multiple opportunities to get back into this game, and by the time they hit that field goal in the fourth it was just too late they um could not stop Kansas city uh and and look i mean the chiefs are headed back to the super bowl they found a formula now where you know when kelsey plays like this they are really really tough to stop but even when we've seen just them win games with kelsey not being uh the top guy and you know just find kelsey and rice a few times run the ball with pacheco and let patty mahomes be patty mahomes i mean it, it really is special what they are doing and what he is doing and you know i was really on the ravens in this game i, I thought coming I in that too. i thought coming in that that defense would really give mahomes some issues but they 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 really didn't do too much and we've um,
1: seen patrick mahomes carry you know obviously offenses and you know they've looked elite in years past with tyree kill when he was there and obviously Aaron, your point Kelsey had an underwhelming season, so we've seen better versions of Kelsey. But I think this Kansas City team is interesting because Steve Spagnola has done a phenomenal job with that defense. And they're elite on the defensive side, especially on the back end. So it is kind of interesting the shift that this Chiefs team has kind of, you know, endured where they've gone maybe more to a, you know, ground and pound team with Isaiah Pacheco and then, you know, hit Rice when he's open, hit Kelsey and hit some of these other receivers when they're open but the bread and butter of this team is on the defensive side. And, you know, all year long it felt like we were waiting for that next AFC team to, I don't want to say dethrone Patrick Mahomes, but we were waiting for another team to make it to the Super Bowl, and it just didn't happen this year because Kansas City went on the road to Buffalo, took care of business against an elite quarterback, went to Baltimore against an elite quarterback, took care of business there, and this defensive unit is really something special. Front, back end, and when you can have Patrick Mahomes and company only score 17 points and you still shut down the opposing quarterback and the opposing quarterback being Lamar Jackson, that's special.
2: And that interception in the end zone, also just a bat breaker. I mean,
1: horrible decision, too. uh,
2: Ravens. It was a horrible decision, but it could have been called for P.I., though. uh, You should have taken the three there. I mean, Ravens turned it over three times in this game. Uh, Chiefs did not turn it over. I mean, that's really the story there chiefs just played a a more complete football game and they've got the best quarterback in football um and so they're headed back to the super bowl we'll have chiefs and niners once again i I think it will be a pretty fascinating matchup um because again you know we've seen this already on the biggest stage but obviously um different quarterback now with san francisco I, i think you know even though brock purdy may get some jimmy g comparisons and all this he's a game manager blah 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 I mean, I, I feel more confident with that group backed by Brock Purdy um, as opposed to Jimmy Garoppolo. And obviously with Christian McCaffrey there now, there's just a different element to them. And so they are a really dangerous team, as we've seen. And obviously adversity does not phase them. And so we'll see how um, they look. And we'll see how the Chiefs uh, come out as well, gunning for yeah a third championship in the last five seasons, trying to become the – the New Age Patriots, I guess. So, we'll we'll see. But uh, it should be a pretty good matchup. Uh, we do have two weeks to the Super Bowl. We do have a Pro Bowl in between. So I I I'm this is really not a great look. I should know this. The Pro Bowl is now in Vegas, right?
1: I believe so. Right. Yeah. It's
2: in Vegas every year. I believe to.
1: it's yeah. I think every year it's in Vegas, and it just and so it works out that the Super Bowl that is the Super Bowl's a week. That's
2: pre- yeah. That's pretty great for the NFL, right? Get everyone in one spot. Um, and, uh, we'll see. I, 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 did hear that, um, Mrs. Kelsey won't be in attendance. She's like got some concert going on in like Tokyo. I'm not watching. So they're, I, I write, like, I only watched as of Taylor Swift, right? Chris? <laughs> like, dude, every time they show her, I kind of like. I'm kind of like a dog, dude. Everybody on social
1: media is talking about, oh, this Super Bowl is going to be boring. It's garbage. I guarantee you the ratings. It'll probably be like a top twelve rated Super Bowl. It's going to be time. huge, especially if she
2: does. Yeah, if they show her on camera for two seconds,
0: oh, it's going to get views. There's going to be on. millions
2: of people who who tune in just for her. People
1: complain about dynasties because they're boring, and I guess Niners Chiefs doesn't really have like a, a you know a new team in there. It's not the Lions or the Ravens, mm-hmm. but. People watch greatness, hundred percent.
2: And I mean, I I think both these teams, especially this season, if you just look at it in a bottle, um, both teams have something to prove. Obviously, Brock Purdy, I think, is the guy out of out of almost everyone. I mean, you talk about McCaffrey going for a championship and Shanahan trying to, trying kind to, of, you know, put his ghosts of the past, you know, to rest and and all this. But I think Brock Purdy is going to be at the center of, of all this, trying to prove himself and really kind of make uh, a name for himself once and for all in this league because when you win a championship um i think that's the ultimate respect that you get from other players it's like you know you've gone out there and you've done it you've delivered you've brought it home so again we shall see okay we're running a little bit long here gotta take a break on off sides but first we have to chat the wgls community calendar the samaritan program wow well, Sorry, The Samaritan Center is a program that helps Glassboro residents with economic difficulties by providing free food once per month. You can give back to your community by donating food, clothes, or by volunteering your time. Email Foodbank at gmail.com or visit online at org for more information. This community calendar is brought to you by Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, your source for community news and information. Okay, Monday edition of Offsides. We will return after this.
0: If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
1: WGLS-FM programming is made possible in part by Italian Affair Restaurant and Wine Bar. Located at 900 Delsey Drive in Glassboro, Italian Affair offers traditional Italian cuisine in multiple dining areas, including an outdoor patio. Established in 1988, Italian Affair also provides catering and private party options. For more information, the phone number is 856-881-2121 and the website is italianaffairglassboro.com. Italian Affair Restaurant and Wine Bar is proud to support the programming on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS FM.
2: RowanRadio.com, Channel 2, Rowan Radio 89.7. WGLS-FM back here in Glassboro, Monday edition of Offside with your host, Aaron Hook. I'm with Chris Dizillo and Tom Hill here in the WGLS conference production studio, I should say. Newly renovated production studio. I've got this nice, fancy switchboard in front of me for the second week in a row, and uh, we are back. So, guys... We've talked about the football. We have talked about the football. And so now we are clamoring for other news to speak on because football obviously at, at this time uh, reigns supreme. It takes precedent. So I think all three of us being hoops guys, I say we move to the hardwood. Uh, also was a suggestion by by you fellas as well to uh, mm-hmm. talk to a little NBA, a little national basketball Association. I'm going to start with this one because this happened over the weekend. First offsides back since the historic scoring effort of one Mr. Luta Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. 73 points for Luca on, what, like 75% shooting? Some ridiculous clip. Something,
1: yeah, absolutely. Just ludicrous. insane
2: stuff. Um, I'm going to get that exact. Uh, 75.8,
1: 25 of
2: 33. There you go. I, that's, in- that's insane. Just nuts uh, in a, in a five-point win over the Atlanta Hawks. Luca with the 73 points um, tied for fourth all-time uh, in – uh, scoring for for a single game uh, in an NBA game. You know, you obviously have Wilt Chamberlain um, with his one hundred back in March of nineteen sixty two and he did it against Chris. The next. There you go. Of course. Uh of course anyway, was the <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so you have Wilt with the one hundred, obviously Kobe with the eighty one uh, and Wilt also has the third highest scoring name of all time with 78 78? points. Um, actually three months apart. He scored 78 and hundred in the same Jesus. season. Um, and then Luka has tied for fourth. Uh, Wilt did 73 twice. David Thompson scored 73 in 1978 for the Nuggets. And Luka Doncic has now put himself right there below Wilt and Kobe. Those are the only guys who have ever scored more than him. Um, so I, I want to ask you guys. You know, in recent years we've had some crazy scoring performances. In the last calendar year alone, we've had we've had four different guys score seventy plus. Joel Embiid obviously uh, last week. Luka Doncic on um, Friday night, and then you had Damian Lillard do it last February, where he scored seventy one. Donovan Mitchell also scored seventy one. Last January, um, we have seen some crazy – and then obviously uh, a few years back, 2017, Devin Booker also scored 70 in a game that the Suns lost to the Celtics. Um, So uh, do we think that in the near future, uh, 81 by Kobe, which has stood since 2006 as the second highest-scoring single-game performance ever, do we think 81 could get – to get uh, to
1: get broken 100%. 100% and I think the reason why is because NBA teams play well number one they play at a ridiculous pace so a pace we haven't seen really in the NBA at at all I would say this is really the first time we've seen teams really push it up the floor number two I think we've also seen a shift in what GM's prefer in the archetype of a player where it just seems like Everybody on the court, or like I would say about 70 to 80 percent of the league currently, is there because of their offensive role and their offensive purpose. I think gone are the days, or not completely gone, but I think the days of a guy who's just there solely for defense are going to be obsolete real soon. And I just think these players. Have kind of adopted that mentality that this is an offensive game an offensive league and you will stay in the league if you can score and score efficiently and consistently and you can create your own shot and i also think that we've seen it have you know it's a trickle down effect to the euro leagues we've seen it in aau we've seen it in college i think kids aren't dumb they see what's going on in basketball they see you know that coaches prefer offensive players and i think that defensive enforcer is gone, and also the rules have seemingly favored offensive players. It seems like even with the uh, the new call where you're not able to completely bait defensive players into fouls, I still think it's an offensive league, and it's it's much easier for scorers and shooters. Mm-hmm.
2: Chris, do do you think? And you know, I, I guess that the real question is: will every will anyone ever reach a hundred? And I've got some numbers to tell you maybe why or why not, but. Do you think someone could, you know, get past Kobe and potentially even catch Wilt with the 100 in in a single game?
0: I think so. I'll be honest. I think it would be Luka that would probably do it.
2: So that was my next question also. Who do we think has the best chance maybe in the next five years to do it? I think Luka certainly with what he just showed and the scoring pace that he's been on all year long. And. I mean, what is the average? Like twenty-eight a game for his career. Like he is one. He's going to probably go down as one of the better scores of all time.
1: Thirty-four and a half a game <laughs> this year. It's ridiculous.
2: It's nuts. You have two guys averaging thirty-five or more, pretty much essentially a game. Luka's just under thirty-four and a half, and Joel Embiid's at what, like thirty-six and a half a game. Yeah, something so something it's, like that. it's just insane the the numbers these guys put up. But uh, do we think Joel Embiid could ever do it?
1: Center, it's going to be really tough because I mean Embiid. I'll say he shoots mid ranges and he'll even shoot a couple threes here and there. Hundred though is pretty insane. Like you got to realize, I, I mean obviously we all know this, but like you score seventy in a game, a hundred's another thirty. Yeah, like that just now you're scoring a hundred in forty eight minutes. Like that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> well,
2: I, so I'll share this with you. So. You, you said – so I agree with I agree with the notion that it's easier today to, to put up points and to score than ever um, because, number one, I think the biggest differentiator of maybe even 10 years ago was the amount of foul shots that these teams take now. Um, the way the game is officiated, these star offensive players are going to get to the line 10-plus times every night pretty much guaranteed, right? So I think – you know, for a guy like Joel Embiid, who also shoots a ton of free throws, gets, ta- gets fouled a bunch, he can have a night where he makes 20 free throws. And, you know, outside of that, he'll have his regular 40, and, you know, he's at 60 pretty easily. That You know, 70 for him is something that, as crazy as it is to say, I think if he went out with a game plan and said, all right, I'm going to get 70 tonight, I think he could probably do it if he wanted to. Um... Like, at will, which is just insane to say. But it's crazy because when you look at the amount of shots that teams are taking, uh, the lead average this year is 89 field goals attempted per game. Uh, when you go back 10 years to when Kobe had 81, um, or really even more than that, almost almost 20 years ago at this point, crazy to say, back in 2006, uh, teams were attempting 79 field goals a game. So it's sh- the shots have gone up free throws have gone way up three point attempts have obviously just just skyrocketed but it's funny because back in 1961-62 when Wilt scored 100 teams were taking 107 shots a game Jesus. which is 18 more than they are in 2024 which is kind of crazy <coughs> to think about so the pace they were moving at back then obviously led to some crazy scoring performances and just the amount of shots that would go up Wilt in his 100 point game did not come out of the game. 48 minutes. No one's really doing that nowadays. Um, shot 32 free throws. Made 28 of them. He shot 63 field goals. 63 shots. 63 shots. That is insane. 63 shots in, in 48 minutes. In 48 minutes. Jeez. He also had 25 rebounds and the 100 points. So Of course he goes to the Knicks. <laughs> and, yes, it was against... The Knicks, by the way, this did overshadow. Knicks had three guys scored 30 plus that day. Richie Darren, 39, 8, and 6. Cleveland Butner, who I don't know who that is, 33 points, 8 boards. Uh, Willie Nalls, 31 and 7. I mean, the Knicks were hooping that day.
1: Those three combined for over 100 themselves.
2: And the final score of the game the Philadelphia Warriors, 169, and the New York Knicks, 147. Just something you don't really think of could like be possible in 1962. But you looked at the three scores from that day. The basketball reference is so great. Gives you all the scores from around the NBA that day. Uh, we have another final. The Boston Celtics and the St. Louis Hawks. Hawks 138, Celtics 120. This sounds like 2024 to me. And we're talking about like 60 years ago. So teams were moving like that back in the day. But... I, I think I think someone getting to 81 is certainly possible. I mean, again, guys have come within 10 points of it in the last year, like, a few times. So I think Kobe, for second all time, that 81 fantastic game he had against Toronto in 06. Obviously, everyone talked about Jalen Rose, uh, you know, and, and, and all that. Someone could get close, and I think someone really does have a chance, and the that's five years to break it, whether it's Luka. I think another guy that is a little... Not even under the radar, but I think there are reasons for people who say he won't do it. I think it's Shea. And Shea is a guy who obviously puts up huge scoring numbers, 31 a game this year. I don't know if he'll ever have like that just like 60-plus game or like close to 70 because he seems like a dynamite. that's almost like a Kevin Durant to where his scoring efficiency and just his consistency um, is so good. But like... Katie's career high is 55. Like, that's nothing too crazy. You know I mean? 55 is mo- <clears throat> is more than most guys will ever say.
1: And with the type of player Durant is, 55 does seem kind of light. Right. But I do think, Aaron, to your point, Gildress Alexander, he attempts a lot of free throws. Mm-hmm. So if he can maybe get to the line like 20 to 30 times and also put up like 25 shots, and it's maybe a game, even 30 shots, a game that goes into overtime or double overtime, I think he could get overrated. Uh,
2: I think – what do we think about Giannis? I think with Dame Bates, there – It's a lot tougher. I think yeah. I think with Dame there, I don't know. And you say a bait, it is tougher. Um, I think Anthony Edwards – I don't know. I don't know
0: if I agree with that. Maybe though. Halliburton? Maybe. Uh, mm, I think he distributes actually maybe. a little too much. He passes too much. Yeah, he, <laughs> he would drop
1: like 50 and 18. By the way, that was Rupta's
2: problem in this game. He had eight assists. Dude, why?
1: You don't need to well, well. Just shoot it. Just go, just <laughs> go for
0: the – dude, yeah, like stop it. Stop passing. What about Donovan no Mitchell?
2: To, no one wants to see you pass. Donovan Mitchell obviously had the 71. I, I think he could get close to that again. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, why can't he get 81? If he just has a ridiculous night, even Damian Lillard, obviously now with Giannis it's just harder. I was going to say Tatum, but
0: he's never been over.
2: Tatum is another guy who I think, you know, could he go for 50? Obviously, yes. Could he go for 60? Yeah. That team is just too good. That probably. He isn't even. On his best night, he probably could. 70 is – oh, man, I don't know. Tatum could go for 70 or close to it, I think. Um, I think maybe a couple of years down the line, Anthony Edwards. If he could, if he continues to progress as as a scorer and starts getting some of those uh, true star calls – other guys, I mean, there's only a handful of guys, obviously. Jalen
1: Brunson, maybe?
2: Around the lead. Brunson? <laughs>
1: he would have to get I really love Jalen
2: Brunson. I think he's too unselfish to just keep shooting. You know what I mean? Like, And and the thing is, again, one of these guys, I mean, Luka obviously did it in regulation, which is just incredible, and he had 73. Um, and Joel Embiid did 70 without really playing most of the fourth quarter, which is even more impressive. But I think someone's going to have the – play like f- like 45 plus minutes like someone's gonna have to be out there for essentially like 95 of the game maybe a game goes into overtime which you know at that point it's like people are gonna say oh well, went win overtime you know but it's like dude who cares you know it's it's one game it's still you know it's only five more minutes so i mean if a guy goes for 85 points in in 53 minutes and they play 50 it's like okay i mean that's still pretty right. insane and so. wouldn't that
1: also be a testament to the player itself because if he's putting up 85 on you know 60 70 efficiency and the game still went into overtime and that means that nobody else on his team was really scoring or doing anything
2: right i mean look people love to hate and it's just crazy you know the other night too it's funny devin booker had 62 for the Suns on friday night and not a lot of people were talking about it just again luca with the uh, 73 for Dallas. So, yeah, I I mean, the scoring record is obviously something that has been held in in high regard, and people have said, you know, it's an unbreakable record. No one will ever get 100. But some guys are like, uh, I don't know. If if the stars align and they end up shooting 30 free throws in a night and uh, the game goes to, like, double overtime, I mean, you could see one of these guys maybe getting pretty close. So I just wanted to talk about some history being made in the nba this past weekend but um not to uh be an extension of the ad one podcast which is absolutely fantastic uh on monday afternoons our guys in Doctor and Aiden butler over there doing a great job but just want to kind of take a look uh around the lead a little bit and obviously nowadays we're getting to the point where the trade deadline is in you know a few weeks and all the rumors are uh are uh, flying around you know, different teams, different contenders making moves to add a piece, different, you know, bottom feeders maybe selling out and starting over, getting rid of some of those bigger contracts. So what are some trades that I guess you guys would want to maybe see um, or just a particular team that you would like to see make a move? Um, At this point, we can go over the standings um, just briefly, I mean. We know the top three teams, you know, in the East. Boston, obviously, with that fantastic home record, thirty-five and eleven. Milwaukee is three games back of them at thirty-two and fourteen. The Sixers at twenty-nine and fifteen are two games behind the Bucks. The Knicks are a game behind the Sixers at twenty-nine and seventeen. Cleveland is just a half a game behind the Nets. I mean, the top sits in the East are very very tight. You know, um, I mean, Indiana and the Knicks are separated by two and a half games for the four and the six seed. And then you have a little bit of a drop-off going to Miami, Orlando, Chicago, uh, and Atlanta, who are the four play-in teams right now. Brooklyn is a half game out of a play-in spot, and then after that it, it kind of is more of a drop-off where you have Toronto at 16-30. and 30. They've lost five in a row, so they're really kind of uh, on, a, on a downward spiral there. And then in the West, you know, you have Oklahoma City and Minnesota tied for the first seed, 32-14. and 14. The Thunder, by the way, I mean, you know, the Lions lost yesterday, guys. But the Pistons won. And they beat the best team in the NBA, or the second best team in the NBA, best team in the West in Oklahoma City yesterday in Detroit. Just a wild, wild uh, result there. So I hope, the, I hope the city of Detroit found some solace in that.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I bet they want to kill you. <laughs> they want losses for those Pistons. They want a tank.
2: The Lions died so the Pistons Gross. could prevail, could exactly. rise
1: up and, and could and rise again, avenge their six and forty right.
2: record. I mean, look, the Pistons are the only team in that city in the last I don't know forty years to win a championship. To do anything, and they've done. They've done. They've won what? I think three titles in the last forty years or so. so the
1: Tigers haven't done anything in a while, right?
2: And the Lions, we know. Uh, Haven't done anything, period. Well, the Red Wings. The Red Wings have definitely won a title. Yeah. So, I don't want to discredit them. But They've won uh, two, I think. Here on Offsides, Hathi is not exactly our forte. Wish it so, was. Sorry, Chris. Um, Rangers are doing well, though. I know, yeah. Rangers <laughs> are doing very well. The garden is rocking, once yes, again. it is. It really is. Um, so, I don't know, guys. Do you want to see any of these teams go out at a piece? Um, I know me and Chris maybe have some personal opinions, but... Um, Tom, is there a guy on the market that you're looking for, you know, a certain team to go add or, uh, just a team that you like to go add another piece, make a move to solidify themselves and, uh, in their respective conference.
1: I know, you know, it's going to be a lot with the contract, but I do think DeJounte Murray to the Philadelphia 76ers makes a lot it of sense. It makes so much sense. Anthony Melton is hurt. And obviously Tyrese Maxey is there and he's, you know, a big time scorer and a shooter. And, you know, we've talked in length, whether it's being uh, offsides or n one. We've talked in length about the season Embiid has put together, and rightfully so, because he's been elite down there. But, you know, when you take a look at the Sixers team, I think the thing that they could use is a defensive guard who can also create for himself. Aaron, you were mentioning this archetype for DeJounte Murray. If he is an 18-6 and six guy with really good defense and good efficiency but not great, I think that could be the move that kind of glues the Sixers together I don't want to say sets them over the edge but I think that could be a really you know good glue move for this team and I think the Sixers do have some assets to do it that contract's not ideal but I think that makes a really good fit and we've seen Indiana make the move with Siakam and Miami mm-hmm. with Rogier and obviously the Knicks with O.G. Ananobi so I feel like this is the Sixers move to make and I think they're going to do it Chris, anyone that you
2: would like to see moved, or any team that you would like to see um, go out and and pick up a piece? I have a feeling you may have a certain team in mind.
0: It's obviously the Knicks. You, you know what you know it's coming.
2: I mean, especially also you know with Julius Randle dislocated his shoulder. The um, reports have been mostly positive that it'll be. They said a matter of weeks instead of months. You know when. <laughs> when talking about his return, so obviously good sign there for um, the Knicks. But, you know, I, I think uh, for them now, it, it's even more urgent to go make a move.
0: I I have two trades, the mm-hmm. one that we talked about before. I was thinking either maybe Brogdon for like um, Evan Fournier in the first, or like you said, DeJounte for – like you were, like we were talking about um, Grimes, Fournier, and like two maybe one or two second uh, first.
2: Right. I, I think a really interesting rumor that I don't buy or I don't yeah I I'm not buying a lot of stock in is a Mattel
0: Bridges move. No um, way. I don't think there's no way Brooklyn <sighs> moves off him. There's no that's way. what I'm
2: saying. I'm saying even though they're having a little bit of a disappointing year, um, look I I think. You know, Mateo is, is older than some people think. He is 27 already. Um, by, the, by the time next season starts, he'll be 28. So it's not like he's like 24, or 25. Um, but, you know, he is pretty much in the middle of his prime, uh, having a very nice season, 21, almost 22 points per game. Um, very efficient guy, 45 from the field, 36 from downtown uh, on a good number of shots per game. Uh, you look know, at what he did last year when he came over to Brooklyn uh, from the Suns in the KD trade. I mean, he was fantastic in 27 games for them, 26 points a game, four and a half rebounds. Um, you know, shooting 38% from three. Again, the numbers with the full volume over you know 45 games that he's played in this year have taken a little bit of a dip, but again, still a very good player, very good two-way player as well. Um, you know, has made a lot of defensive team, and obviously, you know, with his length. He's always been known as, as one of the better defenders in the league. So I think for the Knicks, it, it does make you know a decent amount of sense. I just worry, you know, you have a guy in OG Ananobi who is just such a powerhouse defensively. I, I just wonder where Mikhail fits with this group. Like, do you move Dante DiVincenzo back to the bench even though he's been so good shooting, shooting the balling. basketball?
0: Yeah. Um, That's what I was thinking with DeJounte. If you trade for DeJounte, you're gonna have to move Dante to the to the bench. Right. I mean even though he's been playing like lights out. You're right. I I think
2: you know, for the Knicks, like they aren't gonna get Mitchell Robinson back. The biggest need for them is obviously that
0: bench creator. So that's why I was thinking Brogdon, because you can have that that key piece on the on the bench that can help solidify that bench. He would also
1: be cheaper than Murray. Mm-hmm. You have to give you know, up two
0: players team. in a first, but with, with Broadden, you only have to give up one player and one pick.
2: Uh, I think, yeah, I, I would. I think Broadden maybe could be the move um, for the Knicks. Uh, I've seen a couple other guys kind of come up and talk. Um, I, I, again, just a guy for that second unit for the Knicks to really kind of lead them.
0: Um, real I, quick, I, real quick. Yeah. Would you want them to get another big man? No. If if Mitch, let's say Mitch doesn't, I think our come center
2: back. rotation is is okay. I think I think I actually think Jericho Sims has done a pretty admirable job. That's true. Filling in, um, and when Randall gets back, I mean they're just a physical team as it is. Yeah. So When Randall is healthy, it's not like they need a paint presence. You know, it's yeah, like Hart- Hartenstein has been that.
1: Um, what center would even be out there?
2: I like think Andre Drummond, but there's a reason why he's a trade deadline candidate every year. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone's like, he's not good to for scoring just right. value from him. Right.
0: He's not good for scoring just for rebounds. Um. So I, when we look
2: at some of the targets that have been talked about, you know, it seems like forever now. Like, do we think a guy like Zach Levine finally gets moved? I think there's a pretty decent chance that the Bulls finally do move off of him because his value is at an all-time low. You know, he's got the contract. I think the Bulls might just. Uh, might just swallow their pride in and and move off of this guy because it's clearly not working out, not becoming a winning formula. They've been a little better as of late, um, but I mean you know they're also looking obviously at moving like Caruso, so maybe you send him in a package deal and just get a boatload of pits back. Like you know I don't I, I'm not too sure, but I think Zach Levine is a guy who definitely this deadline. I know we've said it the last couple of years, but he definitely could get could get moved.
1: I wonder what the number one team would be. I'd be interested to see a, a you know maybe Sixers. Maybe I make sense. Maybe the Lakers if if one of them loses out on Dejounte Murray. But I don't know with Zach Levine because Aaron, to your point, it hasn't really worked there with Chicago. And they brought in Vucevic from Orlando a few years back, and it just seems like they they were in a position to kind of win but not (coughs) win in terms of nba Mm. uh standards or at least what you need to have in order to win in the nba they're uh they're They're in purgatory they're in purgatory so like i don't know what you do with demar Derozan uh or vucevic but to your point caruso caruso would be someone that i think would actually garner more attraction than a levine because of the money that levine is owed on that contract but I don't know, they're in a funky situation that Bulls franchise. And I don't know how much, you know, cachet Zach Levine has now, especially what you brought up that his value's at a low. You know, it, it's a name, but what's he really gonna do for your team? I'd be interested to see if the Lakers have interest.
2: The Lakers would certainly be interesting. I mean, I'm looking at Bleacher Report and they have a mock deal where Levine goes to the Warriors in exchange for Chris Paul. Moses Moody, who doesn't really get a lot of time with the Warriors, is um, a you know solid young player, though. Corey Joseph in two second round pits.
1: Yeah, some Warrior fan might have cooked that up. Uh, two that second ha- that round has picks to be a Warriors fan. No player game. of any. Importance. I mean,
2: I know Zach Levine's value is low, but you can't even get a first round yeah, pick. I mean, seriously. And you're going to get yeah. the, the, the remains of Chris Paul. Moses Moody, who hasn't proven anything yet, and Corey Joseph, like just like a backup point guard, like no thank you, and two second round pitch. I think that's a little, like overzealous. Yeah, I think that's a little disrespectful. I'm not gonna lie, but that's the um, that's the deal. Beach report has. They also list the Nets as maybe a potential landing spot. Yeah, that's just it. Just feels weird to me nope. because the Nets at this point almost feel like more more of like not sellers, but just a team that wouldn't be looking to add a guy like that where it's just more offense, not any more defense. And the the Nets are a really good defensive team, so maybe they just need a, another bucket getter. Um, but Levine does feel like a guy who could like, end up as a Laker. Um, a couple other guys before we uh, wrap up. You know, We talked Broadden. How about Bruce Brown? His name has come up. Um, Bleacher he's
1: linked to the Knicks, to So the Knicks yeah.
2: have been linked to him. I <clears throat> think he would be a pretty decent guy for the Knicks to get. He's become more, especially, you know, we saw it in that finals run last year with Denver. Like, he's become more of a guy that can go and get his own shot. You know, he will go to the basket uh, and create for others as well. He's had the ball in his hands more this year with Toronto. And the deal that Bleacher Report has in place is Bruce Brown to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for Marcus Morris first time court KJ Martin and a 2026 first round pick wow that sounds like a solid deal to me I think for both sides like you know Toronto is just pretty much going to uh sell just dump him um you know 22 million dollars this year 23 million dollar team option next year I don't think they need to eat that kind of money for a guy who is not going to be one of the stars on the team you know nice player but I think the Sixers Taking him on, you give up a first, um, you know, you give up Marcus Morris, T to the city. That might hurt, but in exchange for Bruce Brown, a guy who can help you out on both ends of the floor, I think that would be uh, that'd be good. Uh, the alternate landing spot they have here is the New York Knicks. Um, What's the trade? Doesn't list an actual trade. They just say an alternate landing spot potentially for him. I, you know, people have said like, you know, he's the same player as Josh Hart, which is not true. But I, I do kind of see like. You know, I I, I think Josh Harden is very integral part to the net, so I don't really want his minutes to get cut. But we we shall see. I think. What would you give up from, for him though? For for um, Bruce. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe a first and just throw him four Evan what, Fournier. Evan Fournier in a first or Quentin Grimes in the
0: first. I was gonna say, would you discuss Grimes end? And Fournier, or is that, or is that sure. too much?
2: Fournier, to me, is just a dead asset. Like, he's not going to do anything for the Knicks. They're paying him for nothing. Like, I, I understand he has, like, the all-time three-point record f- in a season for them. Like, when we, when we signed him at
0: first, he was... Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, he had a nice little season. But uh, Thibodeau, Thibodeau obviously wants nothing to do with him. So, you know, to me, he's just an asset that can get us somebody at this point. You so, see. the two top, really, guys that have been discussed um, outside of those guys... You know, you had a guy like Laurie Martin in in Utah uh, who could potentially be on the move as well. I think a really interesting landing spot for Laurie would be OKC. I think he fits in with them nicely.
1: Um, Because you got Chet down low. I think you give. It's not a spacing issue with Shea.
2: I I think you put Chet next to Laurie, and your starting five is Shea. Jalen Williams, Josh, Diddy, Laurie, and Chet. Like,
1: like. (laughs) Because the only liability on the offensive side would be Giddy. Mm -hmm. But you've got four. Diddy can just blend in, man. He can just
2: do whatever, put up five assists a game, just kind of be out there um, as, like, a win guy. Like, he doesn't really need to do anything at that point. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense for a team like that. Um, I'm trying to think. Maybe, like, who else? I, w- I almost want to say the Clippers, but I don't think that could work. Just mu- I don't know they if they want to take on like another rings. deal. <sighs> yeah, I'm imagining, like, a lineup for for the Clippers, like, with Laurie there next to Kawhi and PG, and I just don't.
1: Uh, I don't know if he works on the Lakers, either.
2: It would be—the Clippers would, would have Harden, Terrence Mann—no, Terrence Mann would— It'd be it'd be Harden, PG, Kawhi, Laurie, and, and Zubats.
1: I don't know if that really works too too know. much.
2: It's just too many guys who need the ball. Um, although Laurie doesn't need the ball, but the Clippers do have three like kind of ball dominant players. Um,
0: Maybe the Warriors.
2: Warriors could be interesting. Yeah, I think I mean he's just the pr- he's just the perfect guy I think. stretch five or stretch four slash five. Shoots it really well, can play inside. I mean, he if you want to add, like, another deer offensively, like, he's pretty much the perfect guy with his size, spacing, shooting, all that. Um, and then I think another guy that could potentially get dealt, this is the last guy I will uh, talk about here, is uh, Kyle Kuzma uh, in Washington. You know, I think Kyle Kuzma doesn't get enough respect. Honestly, I think Kyle Kruzma is a pretty good player, um, and so Bleacher Report has the Miami Heat training for Kuzma, uh, and giving up a lot for him actually. Duncan Robinson, Taylor Martin, Nikola Jovic, and a 2028 20, first round pitch swap plus a 2026 20, second to the Wizards in exchange for Kyle Kruzma. Again, to me, he just he's a lengthy four, can shoot it, can handle it, like. To me, he's a guy that just takes an offense. You know, just gives them another score, another playmaker. Um, and Washington obviously isn't a great spot to trade him because they're terrible. So we shall the Lakers see. Lakers
0: possibly. I mean,
2: back uh, to the Lakers would be very funny. That'd be pretty
1: interesting. Um, Full circle moment.
2: I mean, you always hear the Lakers come up this time <laughs> of the year.
1: Uh, like How about Orlando? Ooh,
2: Orlando for for Kuzma
1: for Kuzma could work yeah I, mean, he, I think he is more stretch for right than he is an interior player
2: i think they have the defensive prowess though to f- kind of fit him in there and he doesn't have to really worry about that end of the floor too too much so i think uh, yeah I, th- I think orlando could be kind of interesting you just look at maybe where he would fit when they have franz out there and Paolo, um and um you know, Jalen subbed as well. Um, in that lineup, I mean it would be a big lineup. It'd yeah. be a really big the lineup.
1: Spacing <laughs> would be maybe something to worry about.
2: Yeah. So I, I mean Laurie obviously provides that, but it would be a it'd probably be the tallest lineup in the league, I would have to say, right? I mean, unless you play Laurie just throw him at the five, Paolo at the four at the three. Subbed at the one. Well, I think that's our cue to uh Wrap it up We were talking NBA trades Way too long And uh I did not mean to And God was like No more
1: We have three (laughs) weeks
2: Until the deadline guys Two weeks to the Super Bowl Stop being nerds Two weeks to the Super Bowl Chiefs 49ers Patrick Mahomes Back out of the den. Chris Gazzillo Has lost his microphone Completely And so we are going to End offsides Here on this Monday I've been Eric Thank you to Chris Gazzillo and Tom Hill with me here in the studio for a coming on, hanging out, and talking about the world of sports. I've been Aaron Hood. Catch Offsides Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 5 to 6 p.m. here on RowanRadio.com. Channel 2, have a great rest of your Monday evening, everybody. You've been listening to Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. Tune in next Monday, Wednesday and Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.